there's such a thing as nurturing the art and the artist in a way that they can fulfill their best potential and full potential without having to crush their souls. Yeah. We're past that. We don't need that anymore. In this episode, I'm talking to pianist Alexandra Mascolo-David. Alexandra, it's so lovely to talk to you. And um... It's so very nice to meet you, and I'm grateful for Ruben to have connected us. I know, I know. Isn't it wonderful? And uh, I, you are in Michigan. I am in Michigan. Um, I teach at Central Michigan University in the middle of Michigan. But right now, we're on spring break, so I'm actually in Kansas City because uh, for the week because my husband uh, works in Kansas City. We have a long-distance marriage. Oh, I see. Okay, so yeah. how far is Kansas City from Michigan then? Well, from Mount Pleasant, where I live, um, it's about a two-day drive. Well, I mean, okay, 13-hour drive, which I uh -huh. usually take two days to do because we have dogs, and Patrick wants to see the dogs too, so I have to bring them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and... and um, but you you teaching piano? Yes, I'm a pianist, and uh, I'm on faculty at Central Michigan University, where I teach the piano majors, the undergraduates, and the master's degree students. Yes, okay. and I've been at CMU uh, for 27 years. Yeah. So I arrived in the fall of 1995. Okay. Um, for for that job, I applied to the position. It was a national search. And I was offered that job, and uh, I have enjoyed it very much, and I'm still there because I enjoyed it. I enjoy it. So, and 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 and, and you, you're a pianist, so do you still do concerts? As yes, well? of course. But the mm -hmm. pandemic really put a damper on that. Um, the last two years have been there's no no nice way to put it. They've been horrid for everybody, and of course for artists, it's been very difficult. I am fortunate to have a job that still pays my bills, a job that I enjoy, but that other side really got a blow. Mm -hmm. um, however, however, this is very complex and I don't know if we'll address this and how you want to go at it, but there has been a shift in my priorities and I have realized recently for the last decade I've discovered that my true passion is teaching and guiding young kids into fulfilling their potential. So we can talk about how that all evolved yeah. if you're interested in. But yeah, yeah, I would really like to talk about that because that for me also it's um, something that I uh, think is very important. And I think also I think the, the role of the teacher is very important because um, you know, sometimes a teacher can nurture this talent and and uh, the artist in the student can develop. And I think this is very positive then. Uh, and this is a very uh, great thing that teachers do, you know? Yeah, I mean, a teacher can make or break a student. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And um, I am actually a product of the conservatory type teaching. And when I was growing up in Portugal, I'm originally from Portugal. And when I was growing up, uh, the mentality at that time, and I say at that time because I haven't been there in ages and maybe perhaps it has changed for the better and I hope it has changed. But at that time, the mentality was 
you teach if you cannot play. And the truth of the matter is that that never sat well with me, even, even from a young age. And I always felt awkward about that statement that you only teach if you can't play. And I obviously can play, and I played in many major venues around the world, including Carnegie Hall, got a great review. So, I mean, that is not even for dispute. Yes, I can play. But the, the truth of the matter is I, I, I was raised feeling guilty about wanting to teach. And it wasn't until 2010 when I underwent a major traumatic event, brain surgery for an aneurysm, that my career came to a complete halt, my life came to a complete stop, and I had all the time in the world to think and to um, reevaluate my priorities and what I really wanted to do with the rest of my life. Because I survived that brutal surgery, and uh, and I was surprised that I survived. I thought I was I was ready to pass when time comes came to to have that that uh, that uh, intervention. But I woke up slurring words and not being able to walk normally and not being able to um, to play and all of these things made me reevaluate my life. So I recommend brain surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for some people who are stubborn like I was and totally on this yeah. mission of becoming the best pianist in the world, which is not possible, not possible. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's been a very fascinating journey. Well, this is so interesting that you're saying that because I think also in this pandemic and the fact that a lot of people had to come to a standstill and, and a lot of things had to be reevaluated, that... I wonder how many artists have this, uh, you know, went through this process of really thinking, is this all worth it? You know, is, is this strive to perfection? Is it all worth it? Or is it just, or is it more about the art? Well, see, and I know several artists and actors, Broadway actors who came to a stop. They couldn't, they couldn't anymore fulfill their art and um, I saw an interview with several of those Broadway actors um, stating how they for the first time encountered anxiety and depression and complete loss. Well, of course, complete disorientation, career disorientation, who are we? Because that's, that's also something that is important to talk about, um, that we as artists, we, are, we grow up identifying our self-worth as individuals with how well we perform in our artistic path. And I'm a case in point where I felt that if I had a memory slip in a concert, even at age 15, my, my life was going to end and I was a bad person because I made a mistake. And this is a fruit, a product of the conservatory type teaching. And that conservatory type teaching does not happen only in the conservatory. It happens at universities in the U.S. and across the world with private teachers across the world. So this is still prevalent. And that identification is really dangerous because especially for vulnerable teenagers, it can cause 
really deep anxiety and depression. And I, I know of some who committed suicide and we, we can't go there. We can't go there anymore. There's such a thing as nurturing the art and the artist in a way that they can fulfill their best potential and full potential without having to crush their souls. Yeah. We're past that. We don't need that anymore. And I had that happen to me. And I don't even know how I fought back all the time and surpassed it to continue to play and still love music. I mean, really, by all accounts, I should hate music by now, but I don't because my passion was so profound that I wanted to succeed. And I did. But at what cost? Yeah. At what cost? And we can prevent that. So at Central Michigan University, because I was so disturbed by, by, by this that I witnessed in young students, I, I proposed a course of, of um, performance anxiety management to get the myth of performance anxiety out of the closet. It's time to face this demon and to face it. And um, when I was growing up, when I was feeling afraid to go on stage, it was dismissed right away. It was like, no, 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 we don't talk about that. You just deal with it. You just go. You be strong and go. Otherwise, quit. Well, I didn't want to quit. So I went on stage and I did it. And I usually, once I was on stage, I did a, a solid good job. But it was always, there was never this comfortable, and I know you, we can be completely comfortable, but there was never this feeling of excitement. It was a feeling of dread. And then once I got on stage, I started, I was able to focus. And then, yes, I played well, quite well, considering. Um, so I felt, okay, I need to help these kids. And I was so fortunate that the administration at Central Michigan University School of Music saw the value in such a course. Well, when I offered it the first time about seven years ago, I thought I was going to have five, six people register. Well, I had 43 at my door, 43 wow. kids college students at my door and I thought oh my god this this is unbelievable this is so needed more than I thought and so CMU is really a pioneer in this now there were some schools already offering wellness courses for musicians Juilliard was one of them University of Michigan was another one I did my research but there was no school offering a full-blown semester course in performance anxiety management we started it as a special course because the university has to test it first to see is this going to oh, be I popular see. enough mm -hmm. and so after after testing it for three or four semesters then I applied, I started the process of applying for it to become a permanent course in the curriculum of the School of Music at CMU, and now it is. That's amazing. And is it just now there, or are you taking it now to other universities as well? Well, what I am doing, I'm starting the process of creating on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel, but this summer I'm going to really start a, a, a subcategory devoted to performance anxiety management. And I have been invited by high schools and colleges to do workshops okay. on the subject. So yes, I've been a guest to do that. So if you know anybody in Europe who'd like me to come and do even a Zoom, we can do it via yeah. Zoom. Um, I, I have been doing quite a few of those. Well, that's amazing. I will put anyway your, your, the link to your website and your uh, YouTube channel. I will put on this interview so if somebody is interested they can definitely contact you 
yeah, yeah, my email well. and all that yeah. would be good. Yes. Do you know, I think it is so important. We have been talking and, and people have been talking so much about um, that side of things, you know, for artists. And I've been speaking to artists over the lockdown time, also doing interviews. And many have said, you know, that it was the first time in their life or first time in a very long time that they really could just, um, sit back a little bit and um, and enjoy what they were doing, playing the the repertoire that they w would love to play, and yes. and that was so interesting for me, you know, that it's that even though there were no concerts and they were that stressed and the financial stress, there was this side of them that they really enjoyed um, having the control themselves of what they were doing. So. This COVID break, um, so-called break, also impacted me in terms of the repertoire choices because um, I have, regardless, for the last decades, I've been doing research on the music of Brazilian composer Francisco Mignone, but also on the piano music of Portuguese composers. And um, so, yes, I released in the past two CDs of uh, Mignone's Brazilian waltzes, Valsas Brasileiras, and also his four piano concertos, which are four fantasies for piano and orchestra with the, the Kalamazoo Symphony Orchestra in Michigan. And uh, that's music that really appeals to me. And also the music of Portuguese composers who has not been performed so much in the US. And we have really substantial, wonderful composers in Portugal. But um, I always felt the pressure to play the music of the dead German composers, the dead Russian composers anyway. And, um, but that I always felt it was quite limiting because in addition to the music of Portuguese and Brazilian composers, which is not that widespread worldwide, um, I always felt compelled to collaborate with living composers because it's so important to keep that going because they're the ones who are here now. Yeah. Beethoven, Mozart, Brahms, Rachmaninoff, they are fantastic, but we gotta move past that. Um, now, it's not to say that I don't, I don't play Chopin here and there, of course I do, but because I love it, but it's so important to keep bringing other composers to the forefront. And so the pandemic really made me realize again where those priorities are. And I think my priorities now in terms of the repertoire I really want to play what I want to play, when I want to play, uh, because I have the luxury to be able to choose because I still have a job that pays my bills, which is a wonderful job at CMU. Yeah, and uh, the, now that you're talking about the composers also, it's, uh, you know, uh, also that we have to start also uh, learning and getting to know the new composers and the new works and uh, and I think uh, that is uh, that's part of the responsibility also of artists is to to reintroduce and to educate yes yes and I consider myself very much a scholar and educator in addition to a pianist mm. and um as, as again, again, as I said, as I was growing up and through all my studies, that was not something that you even dared to say or to claim. You were a pianist, period. And you were a performer, period. There was nothing else. Um, 
So I'm proud of the career I've carved because as a woman coming to the U.S. when I was young, I was 19 or 20 when I came to the U.S. to study, and I was supposed to be here for two years to do my master's degree, and I'm still here. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> it was a very long two years. Yeah. <laughs> because I fell in love with the country and the opportunities that it provided. Now, the U.S., of course, has many social issues, but hey, which country doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Every country has its problems. But what I admire so much about the American spirit is that entrepreneurial spirit and the and the opportunities that mm. artists can still find in the U.S. versus, well, I'd say versus the countries where we're from. Yeah. And um, Portugal has evolved a lot. And I'm so proud of my home country now because I see also that there are plenty of opportunities. But And universities have developed. They are very strong now. At the time that I left, there were no universities uh, for careers in performance. There was no Bachelor of Music or Masters of Music in piano. Now there are. And um, so hard to tell if I was growing up now, I probably have pursued my Masters or my doctorate there because there are opportunities. But now um, when you are teaching and with your students, how do you promote them or, or how do you do encourage them to find their own personality and or, or to to be their own person in this world where where I mean classical music has its rules and and uh, well, strictness we, you know but yeah yeah we are we are rule breakers I'm breaking all the rules I am oh, okay. I am not comparing anyone to anybody else I'm not holding every student to the same standard. To me, they're all good enough as long as they practice, as long as they work hard and are self-motivated. I encourage their own uh, self-sufficiency in problem solving. Um, I teach them how to practice efficiently and, pra and, and um, efficiently and productively. I teach them the value of discipline. So there's no cutting slack, of course. I mean, yeah. working hard, but I do not crush their souls. I encourage them when they don't do well. I try to find the reasons as to why they're not doing well. And then we address it in a positive, constructive manner. And the truth of the matter is that there are thousands of professions that piano majors can pursue, not just being a performer. That's a thing of the past. That's a thing of the past. We need to move on. We're not in the 19th or early 20th century. We are in the 21st century. Musicians have to be very versatile. A pianist has to be able to improvise. He should play, he or she should play jazz. They should learn music theory really well because if they get a university job, no longer you're going to find a job like mine. Universities are cracking down on the tenure piano position. This is a thing of the past. There will be very few. And what they're doing is adjunct positions where you have to be able to teach more than one discipline, being music theory, being jazz piano, being music history. This is, this is the reality, guys. This is the reality. And so I'm training these kids to be as versatile as they possibly can. And the truth of the matter is that I have students who graduated who are doing amazing work in grad school and in the professional world. Mm -hmm. So let me let me give you two examples right now. This summer in May, 
I was invited by a former student of mine, Denise Derdovsky from Kosovo, which was a war-torn country. She is an entrepreneur now. She's in her early 30s, and she founded now in Kosovo, in Pristina, a festival that she will hold this summer. For the first time, she invited me and two of other two other of her piano teachers to do that residency for two weeks to uh, nurture and inspire amazing young talent from Kosovo. And this is my former student at CMU. Another one, also this summer in July, Diogo Passera, he, with his brother, who's also a very good pianist, founded a piano competition in the north of Portugal in the rural area. And I'm the guest who's going to open the festival with a concert of all Brazilian waltzes, and then I'll be a judge for the competition, which is in its, I don't know if it's third or fifth year. Anyway, it's at the beginning. So these are our students. And are they playing much? Yeah, they're playing, but they're also, Denise in Miami, she lives in Miami now. She she founded her own school, art school, piano school, music school. So... This is the goal. The goal is not to create classical concert pianists. That's not the goal. The goal is for them to still play well and be successful if they choose that career. But it's also open the field so they can see, ha, I can do this. Ah, I like this. Oh, this is more what I'm like or about. There's so much out there, Petra, so much. Mm. Well, I I get excited about that because I I do think that um, music should be taught uh, uh, f- uh, to young children, not because you want to create some art, you know, uh, musicians and, and like you say, concert pianists, but some children need to be educated in music so that they can appreciate it and that they can have that experience. And if there are students finishing at the university who can also do something like that or also like you say be entrepreneurs and and go out into the world and use their talent in different ways not just to perform on stage that's right that's Mm -hmm. right and to perform on stage and only do that it takes a certain type of personality and character and you need to be very resilient and to keep playing at a certain level and actually keep developing as a pianist, you can't be teaching the amount that I'm teaching. I mean, there's no way with our teaching duties that I can find the time to evolve as a pianist. I can pretty much stay there at a high level, but stay there and maintain that. Yes, because that's what's realistic about university professors. Let's face it, university professors cannot be the the performing artist unless they are on a special category, some universities invite them to be just a distinguished professor of piano. All you do is travel around, play, give master classes, and you have maybe five students. Okay, then it's doable. But they are free of all the other obligations that we, the others, have to do. The majority, the vast majority has to do. And as I said, it was through that that I enjoyed, through this job that I that I figured out how I enjoyed guiding these kids. Mm-hmm. So I have a saying here. I say that teaching is the sexiest of all professions because nothing is sexier than guiding youth into fulfilling their utmost potential. 
No, you that can is... quote me on that. You can yeah. quote me on that. <laughs> sexy. <laughs> I yeah, but I agree because it, you know, it's about it's about the love for for the art and it's love for the music that I think it's so important to to um, you know to inspire young people to do that. That's it. Yeah, That's it. and it's the love in my case, the love I have for them, the love for the yeah. youth, the love mm. for these kids. And I don't have children. My husband and I decided not to have children. Also, it's kind of hard when you have a long-distance relationship. We've <laughs> had for a long time. But um, so my students are my children in a way. Yeah. And um, so if you teach well, you fulfill the role of way more than teaching them the craft of the instrument and the artistry. You really are a guide. You are a counselor. You are you are a second mother or father, you know. It's and it's fascinating. I just enjoy so much, and I I, I have so much love in my life and a very close relationship with all my students, former and present. And wow. I'm proud of that. Very yeah. proud of that. Well, you know, this is this is wonderful, and and I think it's um, I think they also can be very lucky that they have somebody like you because I think if you can install this love, then they will also do that again with the people that they get in contact with and other young exactly. people. So it's it's that chain that you create, you know, because they'll exactly. always remember that. You, yeah, and you got to the the, the heart of the point, which is, they will not perpetuate a cycle of an iron fist, of teaching yeah. what I call the iron fist, you know, the conservatory type teaching. They will learn to teach with still instilling a lot of discipline and hard work because, again, you cannot achieve anything without that. I don't believe in talent. Talent's fine, but talent is not. I've had students whom I don't consider highly naturally talented, but they've gotten way farther than the ones who had all the facility and then didn't work because they have the facility. So really, it's all about hard work, and they understand the importance of hard work and discipline. They do. But mm -hmm. you don't need to be mean to them exactly. for them to develop that. Yeah. Now I I I love your um, way of of teaching and and your outlook on this. It's, it's um, I think it's so necessary, and you know this can also be because I've also spoken to many artists about this. Why are um, art uh, not valued? You know, during lockdown, people were complaining and saying art is not valued, and then we have to start thinking. But also, you know how how do we have, why don't we have art in schools anymore? Or why are young people not interested? Or why do people stop playing the piano at some stage? Because maybe it could be the teacher who, you know, like you say, yeah. the teacher who can take well, all the fun out of it. Because not everybody playing the piano. I mean, I did a little bit of piano lessons, but, you know, it was not enjoyable for me. And I would never have well, become. Let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: Why was it not enjoyable to you? Do you can you pinpoint that? Well, I, I cannot remember really much, but I, I do. I do think it maybe had to do with you know maybe the the way I was taught or, right. um, and and 
Yeah, I think with many, many times you hear something like, oh, I just dreaded people saying I dreaded the piano lesson or yeah. I dreaded the violin lesson. And um, do, yeah. you, do, you hear, do you hear that mostly in Europe or the US or overall? Do you know? I don't know. I, I, I can I can remember, for example, um, my children played, uh, all three of them played violin and I I knew they were not going to uh, become violinists, and yeah. uh, and I then went and I bought um, colored violins. You know, like the varnish Ooh. of the violin yes, yes. was. So the one my son had a black one, and uh, my one daughter had a blue one, and the other one had a pink one. And they played, and you know, they they loved. The, I think that made it part of the fun of playing then. And when they did their their um, violin exams, I would dress them also in the same colors as the violin. You know, it was like this thing. And they were still very young, but it was young. Mm -hmm. And then my, uh, my one of my daughters came to a, a a violin teacher who didn't like the colored violins, and she always had something to say about the 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 fact that the violin has a colored varnish. And I think in a, in a way, and it, you know, my daughter would, I would always come home and say, the teacher said you should buy me a proper violin. So she always believed that she didn't have a proper violin. Right. And I think, yeah, I think in a way, maybe that also is something that um, I, there, there was no way that my daughter would have become a, a violin. Or, you know, she didn't have that level of interest in the violin, but I just wanted her to enjoy the playing of it. I always thought it's so important to play an instrument. And I, right. I, I sort of, yeah, I, I regret that that teacher, um, yeah. you know, yeah. was like that about the, the fact that it was not a, you know, right. a, a okay. very so, expensive violin. <laughs> so my, my take on this is that Europe, Eastern Europe, Latin America, very much there's there's very much a, a music tradition right and that conservatory hardcore training which is really at least traditionally was not meant for people to have fun it was meant to just build concert artists concert performers in the u.s however and we know how this country started right the first wave of immigrants who came they brought their pianos but they were mostly um they, they, they played mostly church music, hymns, so they didn't have the training. A lot of them, they were from lower classes, as we know, trying to escape relig religious prosecution. So they come to this country, they find freedom, but they're playing. And so I firmly believe, and nobody, I mean, I haven't talked to anyone about this um, to find out whether it's for sure or not. I mean, I haven't done formal research on this, but my take on it from reading a lot and from observing is that in the U.S., yes, they founded uh, pedagogical methods that are very fun for kids. They use the, the teaching methods, which have lots of drawings and things, and kids have a lot of fun. However, in the U.S., because it's such a young country, we're still evolving in terms of real professional schools of piano in terms of performance because there are some very good American teachers, but the vast majority are recent immigrants from Russia, from, well, Portugal, from, you know, from other countries. They are now 
starting that pedagogical, um, how can I say this, uh, a stronger pedagogical approach at the college level for to build higher quality performers. And no, by no means I am putting down American pedagogy. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying that we're evolving because the country is too young. And whereas Russia and China and Japan and Europe have had centuries, right, to develop this musicianship, here in the US we haven't. So it's just a fact. And so it's it's much more recent. And um, but the kids here have a lot of fun. Now, that doesn't mean that they're learning the proper technique. And I can yeah. say this because I have decades of experience traveling around the country and judging competitions. And I see that the top players are Chinese. They still are Chinese. They are Russian or they are European. And there's one or two Americans that get up there, but it's still not the norm. So that tells me, from observing it, that's what this tells me, is that there's not a strong school yet of a firm school of American pianism uh, that builds technique like they do in those other countries. Yeah. It's starting. Yes, there are pockets. There's a certain teacher here who's very good. There's a teacher there who's very good. But there's not yet a unanimous consensus of how to do this, which is natural. I mean, the U.S. is huge. Yeah. It's huge. Mm. but it's great because it's evolving and we are a part of history yeah well i think um i think this pandemic has also maybe made made us all aware of uh, how important all these things are and how important art and music and and I, let's let's hope there's a uh you know like a renaissance in in uh, yeah, I never, I never got to enter that question of yours about yeah. uh, art being well. Art is always going to be the first one to get out from schools mm -hmm. because until people understand how, how art can be therapeutical and how it develops yeah. the brain in kids, but politicians know that they know it, but it's just not their priority because they run countries as businesses and and unfortunately art does not bring the millions so it's up to us the the the, the, the citizen the individual yeah. citizens um through philanthropic actions to really make things happen because if that doesn't happen governments are uh, that's it i i do not believe in governments sponsoring mm -hmm. arts it's just not because the trend has been to cut 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 and yeah. i don't see a way to change that i really mm -hmm. don't in the near future. So it's our responsibility as individual citizens to find ways to bring that to kids. And I'm trying to do that with little trips I do to rural Michigan, to schools where music is cut or non-existent yeah. and travel with my keyboard and trying to just play with my keyboard so the kids at least have some exposure. Yeah, but uh, I feel a responsibility to do that. But that's wonderful that you do that, and and you never know who you uh, touch, you know, when you or or who you a child that might just see or hear and and then um, exactly. And the bottom the seed line is planted. Is, yeah, and they get very excited when I play these Brazilian waltzes, and they fascinated. They want to play a keyboard because they've never they're. they're They've never played an instrument. They hear the sounds like, what is this? I'm talking really poor rural communities. Yes. 
And in in my in my way of thinking, if I can touch one more person, exactly. if I can make one more person just choose this or just be inspired by this and this can change their lives, I feel like I fulfilled my mission on earth. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. But now, Alexandra, tell me what uh, on this uh, point, uh, what is your wish for the future? Well, I mean, now with this war in the uh, in the Ukraine, I have to tell you that I've been very, very, very down about this, like so many of us have, and I feel very anxious and depressed about it because I think about the kids, the women especially, but the men, the men who are fighting, even Russian men who don't want to be there and yeah. uh, are fighting for a war they don't understand because what is the reason? And so, and then I feel for, for the musicians, the, the, the dogs, the cats, the pets, the animals, I feel, and I feel it very strongly. Um, so I'm trying to process that within myself. I found that mindfulness and meditation Breathing exercises, yoga uh, has contributed to, to, to find some peace because us all being unhappy about that war is not going to change the war, but yeah. we, we need to, to, to exude love and compassion. And what I desire mostly right now is peace. That's mm. what I desire mostly. And then to, to help Ukraine to build, rebuild, uh, somehow rebuild... <sighs> their lives. I mean, to think that one day people, academics were writing an article to submit for publication, people were enjoying it outside in a restaurant, having their meal in there. And the next day on survival mode to try to just survive. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that I'm having a very hard time yeah. understanding because there's no reason for this war. There's yeah. no reason for this. Yeah. War. Well, I think we all see also, uh, how much uh, they, you know, that solidarity that they have and the leadership that they have. And, uh, and I think it's also something that the, we at, at, you know, looking from outside, looking in that we can learn something from it. So I try to see, I try to think of the positive things that we can understand now from this situation and i think yeah, leaders I think of countries have to look at this leadership that they have and and just think isn't it incredible you know and it is, how, it is. You know, and it, the love it's love it's all exactly. about love yeah. i mean this this is really what humanity is about humanity yeah. is no longer about war we don't need to engage in these wars because we have the education we know we know there's no reason to engage in, in wars with one another. What we should be engaging in is building each other up and collaborate. And I'm all for that, but you know, we can only do so much with our little corner here. I'm doing, I'm doing what I can within my field, in my little corner. If we all could do that, right? Cultivate our own garden, right? Yeah. But well, like, their, their president but, Zelensky is a, is an artist. He's a, he oh, was an actor. So, um, Oh. That's something, that's an example for yeah. the world to see, you know. It is. He's remarkable. He's remarkable. Yeah. And he will go down as a martyr if anything happens to him, which I hope no, it I doesn't. Think but I, if anything I, goes mm. happens, he will be the true hero. Yeah. Putin is, yeah. of course. I mean, I feel sorry for Putin. He must be a very unhappy, unhappy soul. Very, very unhappy. But, uh, but Zelensky... 
he's a god he's in my eyes he's well he's, but this is my point is he's an artist and his way of thinking and his way of doing is just so different and i think this is also something that governments have to um you know this is leadership this is real leadership and i think if we could educate children and in arts and that will that we will have more leaders for the future or better leaders like for the future definitely absolutely that mm. can always be our hope yeah in the meantime i think that we should never give up you know and yeah. that's the one thing i say to fellow artists yeah and i know some people will think well it's easy for you to say you have a steady job yes i understand that but however i think that we should never stop being in touch with that that part of ourselves mm as artists because it's a big big part of ourselves yeah and um it's something that i will always continue to fight for okay so alexandra is there a is there a coffee shop or a or a restaurant that you would love to do a shout out to in your area well so in mount pleasant michigan where i teach at central michigan university right which is the beauty of america you have in the middle of all these cornfields and rural atmosphere you have a university and uh, so the decentralization of education which is so remarkable so in mount pleasant there's a coffee shop that was just started by two members of our community and they're very young and motivated and it's called ponder coffee and i'm advertising guys if you're listening ponder coffee in mount pleasant michigan they have an amazing avocado toast yeah. <gasps> it's so good and all their coffee beverages are so wonderful and there's also a korean res restaurant yeah. very very teeny it's like a little cubicle with five tables it's called Shin's, Shin's Korean Restaurant. Yeah. And I go there at least two times a week because it's wonderful, delicious food. It sounds amazing, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm hungry now and it's only, what, 10 a.m. my time. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you're not, you're not even in Michigan, so you'll... No, I'm in Kansas City with my husband, with whom okay. I've been married for 21 years. And wow. we're still together. We've been apart for about 12 years. Oh, okay. Well, we make it work. We make yeah, it work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. a choice, Petra. It's a choice. Yeah. When you when you find the love of your life, you make it work. Exactly. If you want to. I, I believe. I thoroughly believe that. I believe in love, and I believe in in you know that that the right people get to get together. Yeah. Well, but, listen, well Alexandra, it was so lovely to talk to you, and uh, and I um I wish to one day meet you in person. Yeah, I believe it or not, I'm a musician. I've never been to Austria. I've been all over the world, but Austria, really? I, Austria and Germany, I haven't been there. This cannot well, be. So it, I have to change time that. You have to, yeah. I'll um, work on that. I'll okay. work. On. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you take care. It's beautiful to meet you. You are Thank a beautiful you. person inside and out, and I'm so thrilled. You made my day. I'm happy. Thank you, and you made In my wrinkles. No. <laughs> Don't get rid of them. <laughs> Oh, I won't. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Alexandra. Bye. Bye-bye, Petra. Bye-bye.